So we welcome you here to Grace Church this morning. Thank you for coming out. Amen. I appreciate it. Um, that last song just got me. Because I know where Jesus has set me free. I remember in 1988, in December, when he set me free. I remember when he took me in a place where I can't even remember anymore where I was and how he started me on a journey. And I'm growing more and more closer to him and more on fire for him because I've seen what he's taken me from. Unbelievable what God can do when he sets a sinner free. Amen? Amen. Y'all feel me? Amen? Amen. Okay, because you got to feel me a little bit this morning. We have a sermon and a sermon series entitled Warning. We're going to talk about the book of Hebrews. It's an incredible book because God is speaking to each of us. He was speaking to the Jews of that time. He's speaking to you and I as Christians in this American evangelical world. He's speaking to all people all around the world. God is doing a work and he wants us to listen. Do you remember some of y'all who are a little bit older like me? When E.F. Totten talks, people. Can I hear that again? People. Okay, all right. So this is important because in the word of God, God is speaking and he wants someone not just to listen, but to respond. This is important. So I want to just um, have some fun this morning because um, we often see this warning sign. You'll see it on labels. You'll see it on all things that you may receive. And you'd be surprised that I looked up something online about what are some of the warning signs on particular manufacturers, uh, you know, products and all. So I'm going to give you a couple here. Um, you know, when you see a baby carriage, you realize that it says caution, remove child before folding. That's a warning sign. How many of you guys even seen that? I've never seen. I have four, I have four children, never saw it in my life. Don't even know if they hide it under the seat or something. How about this one, a drill, which not, doesn't look like a really nice drill, doesn't have DeWalt or something on it. Caution, this product's not intended for the use of dental drill. Okay, all right. Um, never thought I'd even think that we would have to, you know, drill a tooth, you know, tooth out. I mean, I have plenty of tools at home. I was talking to Matt earlier this morning. Uh, we love our tools. Okay, so here's the next one. Caution, do not iron while wearing the shirt. I hope you don't. Otherwise, you're going to have burn marks all over your body and have to go to the hospital. Okay, and then caution. Do not use the hairdryer while you're sleeping. Who would even bring that up? I don't even know where that's correlated in any way. And then this one. Do not allow your children to play in the dishwasher. Now, I didn't ever think of that until I saw that this week. I'm like, who would even consider that? But apparently, if you pull everything out, maybe hide and go seek. You just put a kid in there. I, I don't know. If you take out the racks... And then this one, pepper spray, may irritate eyes. No kidding. That's the whole purpose. When a woman needs to have that in case someone comes and takes their bag or tries to hurt them in any way, that's the purpose. And uh, men, if you have one too, you and I need to talk. All right, okay. All right, so, so as we go through these next couple of moments... Let me, just, um, let me just share with you that we're going to go through what I call like a teaching moment. 
um, just to kind of share a little bit about the book of Hebrews, because it's important for us to understand that the book of Hebrews is a book that we have to grasp and understand who's the audience. There's been some controversy with scholars as who it's determined who the audience is. So as I share some of this background information, it's important to gather this before we go through this sermon series. So who's the audience? That's the question that I'm asking. We're gonna go through this just a little bit before you have to go to your worship guides for your fillings. Who is the audience? Now, scholars would believe that there are three different groups of Jews in the book of Hebrews. Okay, there's the believers, which is in question because how in-depth were their trust in Christ? Were they truly enrooted in, in, in Christ? And we don't know. We're just trying to lay it out. That's one potential audience. Another one is the unbelievers who accepted the gospel intellectually due to the false teachers. So we know, first of all, if, if any of you have studied this book, we know that we don't know who the author is. That may be your first question when you enter into the gates, is, uh, Jesus, can we talk? I want to know who is the author of Hebrews, okay? But if, if you see this, that there is a base where some would believe it would be the false teachers who were teaching the Jewish and Jews, Jewish believers and potentially the Gentiles as well during the first century that they were misleading people away from the true gospel and faith in Christ. Number three could be the unbelievers who were attracted to the message of the gospel but weren't convicted of sin and didn't trust in Christ. So there could be a gamut of what we call audience here. Jews, Gentiles, primarily Jews, because we'll, we'll see that throughout the language, we're not going to go through the entire book. We're going to talk about, I'll mention in a minute, the five warnings in Hebrews. And so now we have interpretive challenges. There are specific phrases in the letter that you have to keep attentive to. Okay, You have to have attention to it. Um, holy brethren. Does that mean that someone's truly saved just by that phrase? That's the controversy in the book. Another is heavenly calling. We'll see that in chapter 3, holy brethren. Uh, we'll talk about it very, 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 just in a quick moment, but we'll be talking about more of the warnings. Partakers of Christ, partakers of the Holy Spirit. It would sound as though someone truly is a believer. But again, we have to, again, work through that part of the passage. In, in chapter 3. Also, uh, once enlightened. That's another statement that you may see. And then lastly, having tasted the good word of God. Okay? So now, are these phrases referring to believers or those who may experience faith but were not rooted in Christ? That's a question. And as you're working through passages and studying them, you have to ask the questions. They're interpretive questions before you would come to a place of trying to, you know, work it out, see how it's applied, how it's interpreted. You have to have the tough questions, and these are some of those questions. Here's another interpretive challenge in the book. Hebrews 6, 4, and 6 has been controversial passage, a controversial passage for, the, for centuries. The question is, can a believer lose their salvation? Most Arminius believe that one can lose it, which then creates a challenge for eternal security. Does Christ save or do people save themselves? Do people participate in salvation or does God draw people to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ? Again, all of these are important questions as you're studying through this book. Was the original audience true believers, as we stated, or were they unbelievers who heard the message and possibly profess faith in Christ, 
but did not take root in Christ and therefore weren't true converted believers. These are the divides in the camps. You have Arminius, you have Calvinists, you have people who look into it. I see it possibly a little bit different, but I see false teachers laid out in this, in this particular book. Because if we don't know who the author is, but we know that Paul often spoke about in the New Testament in his writings about false teachers, I would think of that time in the first century that this author who was writing too was speaking about false teachers. So that's important to keep in mind as you're working through the book. So there are five warnings throughout the book, and we'll share the passages in the next couple of weeks. But one is warning against drifting away. We're going to talk about today. Warning against disobedience. Uh, Warning against disengagement. Warning against despising the truth. And a warning against departing from him. All of these are warnings that God is truly just laid out in front of the Jewish believers and whether or not they're believers, we're going to work through that. But one may take it one way, one may take it another way. I always say make sure that the scripture is your purpose and your focus as to why you hold to a certain view. But today we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to look through verses 1 through 4, but we're going to touch on chapter 1 because it it begs to, to... move us into that direction. So let me start here. Therefore. Now, when you see the word, therefore, it tells you there's something prior to, which is in chapter one, but we'll be there in just a minute. But I just want to just lay out this verse. Therefore, we must pay close or pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Okay. Now, this is a key component here in looking at this and breaking down this verse. But before we do that, we have to ask another question. Which voice did this audience need to hear? There's got to be a voice because the writer, the author is saying we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So when you hear the word heard, you know there's someone speaking because someone else has to listen. So the author is saying someone has to listen. How well they need to listen depends. And when we listen to someone who's speaking, how we respond, how we're attentive to that person shows value to that person. So husbands, when the wives are saying to you, are you listening to me? You say, yes, dear, I'm listening to you. But the question is, they can't crawl into your brain and read your brain and see how, how well you're listening and how you react or how you respond. And even, you know, the facial expressions or whether you're doing something while you're listening, they know you're a man and a man can only do one thing at one time where a woman can do six different things at one time. So if you're doing something else, they know that you're probably not listening. You follow me? So if they're listening, if you're listening well, then you're showing value to your wife. Well, here God, we understand, is speaking. But what's the audience of this particular book? Which voice did this audience need to hear? Well, here's the voice that they were listening to, which wasn't God's. See, in in the Jews, they were following Judaism and other religions. So they were listening to angel worship. They were listening to a study on angel worship and mysticism. It was a subjective experience with angels that become an objective standard and reality, meaning they were looking for a divine voice. 
They didn't see it in Jesus because Jesus was made of matter. He was 100% God, 100% man, made of matter. And in a dualistic you know, perspective with Gnosticism, spirit is good, matter is evil. So Jesus couldn't be the son of God because he's made, he's created, and they saw him as created. Therefore, that was the controversy that was occurring with the false teachers. They were speaking half-truths. And speaking half-truths, people were listening, and it was attractive, so they were following these false teachers. So what was happening was Gnosticism began to grow in the first century. Although it was a form of it, it didn't really form until the first and second century with the church fathers. And then asceticism, abstaining from evil practices as a form of attaining holiness with God. So they were looking for a divine voice, the angel, in order to get close to God and abstaining from what they would call sin. So they would lean on the law and the ceremonial laws and looking to honor God by keeping the law. But however, they were listening to that, but they were missing another voice. And that voice was the voice of God. So as we look at this, we got to see another thing. When we're looking, if we can go back for just, just a second here and look at this passage, we say it must pay closer attention. So the word must in the Greek means it is necessary. It's called the divine day. When a word like this is in the passage, that means it's giving attention to who is talking. So what the author is saying, we must not only listen, we must pay close attention. In fact, the word means heed. Take, there's a warning, there's a warning coming. You gotta take heed, be careful. And so what it's saying here is that the audience, the listener who's listening to this letter and reading this letter is saying, you gotta listen and pay a close and place close attention to what you have heard. So then it has to beg to ask another question, which voice are you and I listening to today? Because they had a voice they had to listen to. We're just going to talk in a minute. But which voice are you and I listening to today? Which is that voice that continues to distract us? Well, the news media. <laughs> That's a voice. This is an agenda that promotes ratings. Their job is to create shock, controversy, disunity, yellow journalism, opinions, commentaries, political leanings, political perspectives. Is this their intention? Are we listening to that voice? Is it on our TV? Are we hearing the voices over and over and over again? Are we watching their faces and their looks and how they're talking and they're sharing their opinions and how they're attempting to create controversy? I don't care which side or which news media you watch. How often are you watching it? How often are you listening? How often is it taking a hold of you to where you can't get that voice out of your mind because you're constantly listening to it? Or how about politics? You're so, you and I, we could be so immersed in politics. How many of you are immersed in it? How many of you are engaged with other politics? How often do you do that when you're listening and you're hearing and you're hearing all the, the talk? Did you hear what President Biden said this week? Did you hear what he said yesterday? Did you hear Vice President Kamala? Did you hear Senator so-and-so McConnell? Did you hear all this? Did you hear what Fox News said? Did you hear what Newsmax said? Did you hear what CNN said? MSNBC, all and all and all, we keep talking about it. We lend that voice to our ears because we're constantly listening to it. And it immerses us in such a way that we can't get those voices out of our minds. 
Or maybe you're one who's just, you have your spouse, the demands, the expectations, your identity as a husband or a wife, your responsibilities. How often do you hear your spouse's voice? The proverbial mommy voice or the daddy voice, right? Wives, husbands, you're hearing that voice. Where, where are you going? Don't you know you have an appointment right now? You haven't spent any time with the kids. Do you think that's a smart thing to do? Make sure you don't say this to the kids. Sometimes you can come off a little rough. Be careful how you say that. Yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. Doesn't it become like that? Y'all, y'all, y'all are not laughing. That means something's going on. Something in your marriage is going on because none of you guys are laughing. But children, demands, expectations, identity, environment, control, influence, responsibilities, the voice we hear, mommy, I want this, mommy, I want this. And you hear and you're like, ugh, just give it to him, just give it to him. I don't want to hear this again. The voice starts to just cringe at you. And now they're away, they're at school, and you still hear the voice. You're like, oh, there goes the voice again. Oh, there goes the voice again. Oh, there goes, and it's just kind of like electric shock every time you hear the voice. Or parents. <laughs> How many of you still hear your parents' voice even though they might have passed away? My parents have passed away. I still hear their voices sometimes. No, not an audible voice, but I hear that voice from when I was a child. How many of you still hear your parents' voice? They're still alive, and they keep, potentially nagging at you. <laughs> I didn't teach you how to do, I didn't do that when you were a kid. Did I ever teach you that? What are you doing with your kids right now? We never taught you that. And then you kind of walk away and you work it out and you argue. Those are voices. But see, this voice that the audience in this particular passage, they had to hear something. And see, we have to say, what's that dominant voice in your life? What's that voice that continues to work? In fact, you know what that voice is, and can these voices cause us to drift away from God? See, all these voices that are going on, could they help us drift away? See, the Jewish believers were hearing voices that were outside of God. But there was something about when he says, pay much closer attention to what you have heard. What is it that they've heard? What is it that they've heard? Because it was drifting them away. They were getting away. And it's important for us to see that. And now some of them were saying too, if they drift away, were they truly Christians? If they drift away, they come, can they come back? Well, I guess they drifted away. So the Arminists would say, well, see, they lost their salvation. But as a possible that a Christian can drift away from some of these voices, if you believe in eternal security, God's always got his hand on you through your sanctification. So there's a possibility we can drift away for a season or a moment. But let me tell you something. You'll know this, though, as John Piper says this. The mark of a true child of God is that he does not drift away for long. That's sanctification. That's what we call progressive sanctification. And see, the voice that he's telling to these Jews is what he's, God is telling to us now in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. It's saying this, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Spoke. So he was speaking to the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So he's telling those who are following Judaism that God has spoken and they have to listen. And he goes, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom he has also 
created the world. So here he is. He's spoken these things into the world. And here he is in verse, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. You see spoke, spoken, and he's talking. What is he speaking? He spoke creation. He's the sustainer. He's the one who created all things. That's where he speaks. And when he speaks, he's sustaining and he brings his son. And when his son, it says, and he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, spoken word. See, they were following angels. They believed their divine connection was going through angels. But this author was saying, no, 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 it's not through the angels, it's through Jesus. God spoke, and when he spoke a word, he spoke to his son. He spoke about his son. And the son, whom you think is not the son of God, the creator, he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is of the very nature of God. This is where the Trinity is happening, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you see that word nature, it means that in essence he is God. But this was the argument that was going on with the false teachers. But which voice are we listening to? Because, see, often we hear all these voices. But God's saying, have you listened to my voice lately? My voice comes through my son. And when I want to tell you something, that the word of God, it was an oral word that was written as special revelation to us. And when the word of God speaks today, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us that helps us understand what the word of God is saying. And when the voice of God speaks through the word of God, that's the voice that should be dominant in our lives. But is it? Question, is it? Because then he goes on and, and verse, and he, and he hates out, he goes in verse three, he says, and after making purification for sins, meaning it was an atonement for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Meaning he didn't just sit at that point, he was always in authority from eternity past. And having become as much superior to angels as to the name he has inherited most excellent than theirs. So that was part of another theme in the scriptures of Hebrews. He's superior than the angels. But the Jews believed that the angels were more superior than Jesus because they saw him as just man. How about us? If we don't listen to that voice that could be dominant in our lives, what are we going to do? Those are the questions. Is is his voice dominant in your life and in mine? If so, then it'll show. Verse 5, here we go again. For which to which the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Deity, reigning in authority, the king. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. Because the angels need to submit to him. Angels are not above him. The angels are below him because he is superior. And then he goes on and says, and of the angels, he says, see the voice that's going on? And he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, meaning they're messengers for eternal judgment. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with all the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And he goes on, he says, of the angels, he says. And continues on. And and of the son, he says. And so it's important to see that he's laying that all out. He's laying that out because he's the creator. He's laying that out. 
And as the creator, there was four words in the Old Testament. And God spoke and said, let there be light. Jesus is the creator, not created. I love what Mark Patterson said in the book Whisper. He says, you have no sensation of motion right now, but it is an illusion of miraculous proportions. The reality, you are on a planet that is spinning around its axis at the speed of approximately 1,000 miles per hour. As you don't even get a little bit dizzy, plus planet Earth is speeding through space at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. So even on a day when you feel as if you didn't get much done, you traveled 1,608,000,000 miles through space. Now he said, let me ask, when was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? I'm guessing the answer is never. Why? Because God is so good and at what he does that we take it for granted. We take his voice for granted. Never once have I knelt and prayed, Lord, I wasn't sure we'd make the full rotation today, but you did it again. See, that's what he's doing. He's laying that all out. He's saying that he is the creator, the sustainer. He's above the angels. But the warning is they weren't listening to him. They weren't taking heed of his voice. God spoke, and they were still looking for angels. God spoke, and they were still looking for other voices. God spoke, and these other voices dominated unconsciously, unintentional. I understand that you're sitting out there, and you're watching your news channels, and you think that, Lord, can I at least listen to these other voices? Sure, you can listen to those other voices. But the question isn't whether you should listen to those voices. The question is, are you letting them dominate you? Because when you and I are being dominated by other voices than the voice of God, then we're missing out on what he really wants us to do. Oh, here's the controversy. This piece of cloth has been dividing us, and it's a controversy. It's a controversy because it's a cloth, a piece of cloth over our mouths. And we're divided over this. We divide ourselves with ethnic backgrounds. We divide ourselves politically. Everything for a piece of cloth that probably costs no more than 25 cents. Maybe 30 because I have some stitching. But here's the thing, though. Why are we allowing this to divide us? Because we're listening to the other people and their voices. Because when we hear that we have to wear one of these, we get discouraged. And then after we get discouraged, we get disoriented. And after we get disoriented, we live defeated. And after we live defeated... Destroyed because we forget about the gospel. All because of this. That's where we're listening to the other voices, but we're forgetting about the gospel. We're forgetting that God has given us an anchor. I mean, look, even in verse two, it's quite clear. He says this For since the message declared by angels, spoken again, it was declared by the angels, messengers, servants of God. Proved to be reliable, the law. The law was delivered by the angels, Deuteronomy 32, 2, and even Galatians 3, 9, teen. And he says this, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, meaning sins of commission, sins of omission were covered, but they were also paid for. You had to, if you committed sin, you had retribution. But then he goes on to say, as we see in the next passage, we're going to see in the next verse, how can we neglect so great a salvation? How can we escape it? 
And see, this is the anchor in which we have. God has given us an anchor in his son. He spoke it. He spoke of his son. His son is above angels. This is the gospel. He is the creator, the sustainer, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father in authority. That's the voice we need to listen to, and that's our anchor. And if that's our anchor, then we need to hold down because sometimes we don't drop our anchor. We carry our anchor around and we're looking for other voices, walking around looking for other voices. Hey, did you hear about this one? Did you hear about this one? Hey, did you hear about this one over here? Gentlemen, Jesus is just standing there and he's like, I can't wait till he drops his anchor in front of me. And here we're looking to all these voices. God's saying, just drop your anchor and spend some time with me. Try to hear my voice. Did you ever consider me? Did you ever think that maybe I have an answer for you? Why are you so disoriented, child of God? Why are you so discouraged, child of God? Why are you walking around defeated, old child of God? We're the billboard to share Christ with others. They need to see us. We need to make a difference. We got to take the lead. We're the church. God's called us to us. Amen? Then we need to start realizing God is calling us, and he's saying, come and listen to my voice. If 9% of us are reading the word of God, that means we're looking and listening to other voices. And they're dominating our lives. But what does Jesus have to say? We need to remain in the anchor. We need to drop our anchor and remain in it. We need to remain anchored in Christ because he's established salvation. He has created and established this unity. We have to maintain it, but it's our responsibility to spend that time and drop our anchor and listen to God. In fact, we just need to delight in God's presence. See, this is what it's all about in Hebrews. With the holy of holies and the holy place and the temple, the presence of God, Levitical priesthood, Melchizedek, God was just calling on his people to enjoy his presence. That's what Christianity really is about, about hearing the voice of God through the word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. When we quench and grieve the spirit, we're not going to hear the voice of God. And God is just saying, delight in me. Delight in my presence. Look what it says in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Let me tell you something. This isn't the law, in my opinion. This isn't the law that's talking about Mosaic law. This is the law that we see of the first, the Pentateuch, the first five books. And let me tell you something. When it talks about the law, God is calling what I believe is the law, the, the, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And we meditate on that day and night in his presence. So then we got the vertical right. Y'all, we got the horizontal right. See, God is calling. And when he's saying the meditation, I love what he's talking about. Because in the Hebrew, it means to mutter, to read in an undertone. See, for Orthodox Jews to speak as they read the scriptures, meditate and pray. See, the idea was you meditate on it Like in 119, in Psalm 119, it says, your food, God, in your presence, you're more sweeter than honey. Jesus said, that's the will of God, to follow him, to follow the Father. 
That was his food. That was Jesus' food. How much more should it be our food? Even says in Psalm 119, when we sleep, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The law, verse 119.72, is the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Do we see it valuable? Is the word of God valuable? Is his word, his love for us more valuable than money? In fact, in the first three verses of this passage right here, you see that it's in a tense in the Hebrew that says a perfect tense. It's a way of settling of life. But here, when he's talking about, in verse 3, he says, the one who truly meditates on it day and night, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers because he's meditating on the law day and night. See, that word, the meditate, it's an imperfect tense, which means it's a constant practice in the life of the one who believes in God, Yahweh. He keeps, he and she keeps on meditating. It's not an event, it's a lifestyle. And you and I, when we're worshiping, we're delighting in the Lord, it's the same idea of remaining in him like we think about that in the New Testament. Remaining in him, abiding in him, spending quality time, spending times in his word, memorizing it, meditating on it, because then it helps in our lifestyle. So we need to delight in him. We need to enjoy him. We need to hear his voice. We need to spend quality time. Because even the author said in Hebrews 6, 19, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, the holy of holies. Remember, he tore that veil, that curtain, and now you and I can enter into the holy of holies in his presence boldly, by grace, as it says in chapter 4 of Hebrews. We can do that. And now he gives us something else that we can do. We can not only delight in it, we could declare God's plan. That's the purpose of this. Because we can't escape it. He says in verse 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's a key word throughout this whole book, salvation. Soteriologically important because an Arminius has a different view, a Calvinist has a view, others may have a different view, but what does salvation mean? Let me just tell you this. Salvation just doesn't mean justification. It means sanctification and glorification. It's the three phases of salvation. So when the author's talking about it, it's not just getting a ticket to heaven. It's not just saying, okay, I'm in, I could live my life the way I want to. See, the warning is that, because if we do, we're going to drift away. Drift, drift away. God's called us to something different. And he goes on, he goes, he goes like this, he goes, it was declared, it was communicated at first by the Lord. It is great salvation, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Now watch now, verse 3. Some will say, who's the author? Well, it seems like the author seems to at least give us a little clue he said it was attested to us, the author speaking, by those who heard. So there's got to be some close correlation with those who heard, which was the apostles. And so the apostles heard, it was confirmed of God. And it says, while God also bore witness, testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, this is, this is what I want you to see as we're about to close. 
This great salvation was first spoken by God. The author makes clear that something's happening and he's talking about the apostles that confirmed it. Now, isn't it interesting enough that the apostles played, paid close attention and didn't drift away? Do you notice that in the book of Acts, if you read through the book of Acts, they moved forward and they were on fire for God because they heard and they took warning and realized that God called them. And when they did, they continued to go. They didn't drift away. They proclaimed the gospel, kept moving. And even though the scattering happened and all the difficulties and all the trials, they stood firm in the anchor of Christ. They realized that if I'm going to be a representative, an ambassador, I'm going to continue to hear the voice of God. And you notice that Paul, where did he go? Whenever he heard the voice of God, he obeyed. God said, no, don't go there. I want you to go here. And he obeyed God. And see, that's what it's important to understand, is that the work of the Holy Spirit through the works of Jesus and the apostles was the Father's divine confirmation of the gospel. Christ's deity was displayed through his miraculous work on earth. And believers have the responsibility today through the power of the Holy Spirit with the gifts that we have to declare the message of the gospel. We declare his plan. It was confirmed. It was, it was communicated by him, confirmed. It was attested by the apostles. And now you and I, who are the people of God today in this, in this what we call the local church and universal church, are now called to declare this message. See, they believed God. They heard his voice all together and above every other voice, and they obeyed the Lord. And when it was difficult and challenging, when their lives were on the line, the church went forward. Lives were changed. More people were added to the church. They sacrificed. They prayed. They gave up their agendas because they delighted in the Lord. And God has called us to declare it. So please, please don't listen to the voices and let this stop you. Please don't let anything else, all these voices that are trying to dominate us and distract us, you and I need to delight in the Lord and hear his voice. We need to return back to the word, hear his voice, because he's warning us, because if we don't, we're going to drift away. We're going to drift away. See, that's a nautical term. And that drifting away is why I'm talking about the anchor, because the boat goes into the dock and it sits. So when the storms come and the hurricanes and even potentially all high winds, even tornadic winds, the boat can still sit in its dock because it's anchored in its place. And you and I need to be anchored in the truth of the word of God. We need to hear his voice. We need to declare his plan because God called us to it. Nothing should stop us from doing what he's called us to do. But the warning is, if you allow these voices to dominate you, you and I will drift away. And we can. But the true mark of a Christian, they won't drift too long because they go back to the anchor. I'm going to just share this, with this final statement here. We need to stop listening to the other voices and start listening to the voice of God in Christ. He's our anchor. Let me just share this one last thing. Let me warn you on one thing. People are not our enemy. Right? President is not your enemy. Just because I said that doesn't mean I'm, I have to be for him or against him. God called me to pray for him, right? The government is not your enemy. I know you're about to shoot me with something here. I'm going to get hit with something. Your next door neighbor is not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. I'm not your enemy, it's your pastor. Could we ever use our voices 
for encouragement? You know who's our enemy? Satan. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy the church. May I encourage you as we work through the book of Hebrews? If we continue to believe people are enemy, we're going to drift away. Well, we could present ourselves as Christians and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and smile, and, and then we start to talk behind people's backs and gossip, and those voices start to come in our lives too. May I encourage you? Place it on your list this week. Use your voice to encourage someone, even if it kills you. <laughs> in fact, let me tell you something. Husband, find a way this week to encourage your wife every day. I say that in the name of Jesus. I'll say that to myself. Wives, find something encouraging in your husband and share that with them. Don't take them for granted. Husband, don't take your wife for granted. Child of God, whether if you're married or not, find someone in your life besides a husband or what, you know, find someone that you can encourage this week. Let's use our voices for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Help us to see that we have many voices around us. And they're distracting us. They're discouraging us. They're defeating us. They're creating disorientation in us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that the true voice that we need in our lives more than any other voice is your voice. May we learn to hear your voice. May we learn to surrender to you in obedience. May we complain to you (laughs) and share our hearts with you and go to you because we can draw near. You've given us that access. We can enter into your presence boldly. I pray that through it, Lord, we will use our voices to encourage others and build them up. Father, may you remind us of this warning that we don't drift away, but hear your voice in our lives as the dominant voice. We love you, Lord. May we delight in you this week. In Jesus' name.